0: and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. This episode is brought to you by Organify, and I have an exclusive offer for you. In addition to 20% off all Organify products using our unique code FUNK, F U N K, for the month of September, you also receive free. Shipping. So if you've been using Organifi powders and loving them, now is the chance to stock up. If you've never tried it before, great time to do so. You can check out their Sunrise to Sunset Power Bundle. This is three of their best sellers. So you have the Gold, which is a turmeric blend. You can make golden milk. You have the Green Juice, and then you also have the Red Juice, which is a mix of different uh, berries and beets and good things like that. Might I also recommend throwing in some Immunity Powder super great for the back to school season. So check them out. Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. Use code FUNK to save 20% and get free shipping through the month of September. And before we start off the show, we got a shout out show sponsor, BioCult. Their boosted product is a multi-strain probiotic with four times the concentration of their original formula. That's why I like this one. It packs a good punch. All of their probiotic strains are backed by clinical research. It really makes a great everyday probiotic. I heard from a listener recently, this stuff has changed me, she said. So it's great stuff and there's no need to refrigerate it. So really handy to have around and to travel with, which is always a good idea. If you're like me, your gut gets a little cranky when you travel, when you're off your normal routine. So taking a probiotic can help with that. It can also, those capsules can be pulled apart. So you can give it to your kiddos by sprinkling it into their yogurt or their um, oatmeal. I put it into a little shot glass with water and Hattie shoots it back. So if you want to check out that probiotic, head to their website using the link in our bio. Use code FUNK15 to save 15%. Hello there, friends. Today on the podcast... I am going to talk to you about a topic that we surprisingly have not covered yet, blood pressure. We're going to talk about normalizing blood pressure through lifestyle. This came up a couple of times recently, and there's one client in particular where um, her blood pressure was just crazy high off of the charts, and we um, were trying to figure out what the heck was going on. So it got me thinking, hey, this is a good topic for the show. Before we get into anything, I really have to say that this is not medical advice. This is for information, education purposes only. I am a practitioner, but I am not your practitioner. I'm not your healthcare provider. And I am somebody who's super duper resistant to just kind of like willy nilly giving rando advice. I just had somebody ask me, um, somebody came to my house to uh, help with something and She was dealing with some cholesterol issues and asked me for advice. And I was like, you know, I really can't give you specific individualized advice if I don't know anything about you. And that is definitely a boundary, but it's a boundary that I put in place to protect you. Um, So just keep in mind, this is here, not medical advice. This is education only. Uh, The allopathic model to... Um, to dealing with high blood pressure is to medicate it, right? And we know that that is not taking a root cause approach because we're not asking why is blood pressure high? A root cause approach is always going to ask the question, why? But why? But why? Okay. This is happening. Why is this happening? It's not, this is happening. Here's how we uh, put a bandaid on the solution or the situation. It's why is this happening? Now, that isn't to say that Band-Aids don't work, or there's no place for Band-Aids, or we should never consider a Band-Aid approach. That's just saying we should also be asking the question, but why? So we're going to get into the but whys today. Um, Because the truth of the matter is that many medications, not just blood pressure medications, but many medications do have downstream effects, and those need to be considered. So Blood pressure is super important. It's considered a vital sign for a reason. If it's off, so if blood pressure is high or if blood pressure, blood, oh gosh, this is going to be a challenging episode because blood pressure, it doesn't just like roll off the tongue. BP. So if it's off, it's showing that homeostasis is off in the body. Something's out of whack. Something's out of balance. This is a sign indicating that something is off balance with hypertension or high blood pressure. What is happening is that the force of the blood going through your blood vessel blood vessels is just constantly too high. So the there's the the blood moving through the the vessels is pushing against the walls of those vessels and that's just consistently too high. It's too much pressure what we're looking at is in, when we're measuring blood pressure is that the pressure of circulating blood volume. So it's the pressure that it's putting on the walls of the artery and too much pressure can put little micro tears in the walls. So that's what that's why it can lead to problems. There's there, there are real risks with high blood pressure, damage to the arteries and the inflammation that ensues, right? The inflammation that follows that damage. And so- that can lead to things like heart attack and stroke. So it's not nothing, you know. High blood pressure is is a real, real big deal. It's not something to ignore and just be like, oh, it's fine. Um, when we're testing blood pressure, you know that every time you go into the doc's office, you get the cuff, right? We're looking at two different things. Systolic pressure, that's the top number. That's the pressure in your arteries. It's the the blood floor, force when the heart is beating. And then the diastolic pressure is the bottom number, and that's the pressure in your arteries when it's not beating, so in between beats. And I whenever I think of heartbeats, <laughs> I always think of dirty dancing. Go go. Go go. Go go. I mean, did anyone was anybody else like unreasonably obsessed with that movie when they were little. I'm talking like little. I was obsessed with Johnny. Uh, Obsessed. Anyway, moving on. So when we see the number 120 over 80, 120 is the systolic pressure. That's the top number. And then 80 is the diastolic pressure. That's the bottom number, right? And so 120 over 80 is really the, the, um, the upper level of norm. So once we start to go above those, that's considered pre-hypertension. Anything above 120 over 80 is considered pre-hypertension. And then there's um, stages of hypertension above that. So it just kind of keeps creeping up. But what's really not talked about too much is hypotension low blood pressure. And low blood pressure is anything when the top number is anything under 90 and the bottom number is anything under 60. That's kind of like the, the criteria for it. And um, we'll talk about low blood pressure in a second because it's something that you, <laughs> I tend towards low blood pressure and I feel like I'm always getting congratulated in the doctor's office. Like, great job. I'm like, cool. I'm dizzy and I feel like shit, but thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> anyway, signs of high blood pressure. There's not really there's not really a tremendous amount of signs or symptoms. Most people that have high blood pressure don't don't really have any symptoms. Um, usually, those symptoms aren't happening until you've reached the point where it's like a problem. What you can see: chronic headaches, um, cognition issues. So like. Uh, anything like thinking feels a little sluggish maybe shortness of breath maybe some vision problems some chest pain um fatigue anxiety or panic all of these can can happen or none of them or none of them with low blood pressure i feel like that tends to be more symptomatic um and it, it it's a it's a concern and the concern is different so with low blood pressure the concern is not injuring the arteries, right? It's not that like high pressure. So it's not as big of a disease driver as high blood pressure. I think that's why we don't really talk about it much. We don't really worry about it as much. But what's happening with low blood pressure, we need we need pressure to move blood throughout the body to our extremities, including our head. So when we have low blood pressure, essentially the brain is deprived of blood flow, of blood supply. So that's why if you have low blood pressure, you can feel dizzy. You can feel lightheaded. um, You can just have those cognition issues, just lack of concentration, brain fog, um, maybe memory issues, uh, fainting if it gets really severe. Um, Anything when you go from a sit down position or when you sit up from a lie down position, any, anytime you're changing position or changing posture. So if you do yoga, um, and you do like, let's say you're doing a forward fold in yoga, and then you come up and you're like, "Woo, seeing stars. That's a low blood pressure, um, situation. And you might notice it more because there's that like temporary dip when you change position, temporary dip in blood pressure. So if, if that's you, we're going to mainly focus on high blood pressure today, but I do want to take a moment to kind of spotlight this. If that's you, we have to think about what's causing low blood pressure. And it's often associated with adrenal issues, HPA axis dysfunction, which I've been talking about a lot lately. Um, I would say that's, that's I, I see that very commonly if we if we have like an adrenal fatigue picture, uh, I see that that pretty... Pretty commonly, it can also happen with anemia, uh, B12 deficiency, folate deficiency, just because there's less blood volume. Um, we can, if there's any type of blood loss, obviously that's going to decrease blood volume. I wouldn't say that that's like the most common. We can see it with dehydration. So here's a real pro tip: if you do deal with low blood pressure, even if it's not clinically low, if it's just towards low, if it's trends towards low and you have some of those symptoms that I just discussed, you have very little wiggle room for dehydration. That is something that I'm very um, on point about. And it's not just drinking water, but it's also making sure you're getting the requisite minerals and electrolytes too. Um, We'll talk about salt in a little bit. You want to pay attention to your salt intake. So that's that's very important because if you get dehydrated at all, that you know that that lowers your blood volume, so you can be more in a low blood pressure situation. But with the adrenal connection, um, the adrenal cortex, that's part of the adrenal glands, it makes steroid hormones. So we know that it makes cortisol. We know that it makes DHEA. We've talked about that a lot on the show before. It also makes a steroid hormone called aldosterone. Um, remember this from science class, aldosterone? I I have like weird memories of aldosterone. Um, But its main role, aldosterone, is to regulate salt and water in the body. So basically like fluid balance in the body. And so therefore it has an effect on our blood pressure. And aldosterone really Affects our body's ability to regulate our blood pressure. It sends messages to the kidneys and to the colon to increase sodium, uh, to reabsorb water, to increase blood volume when blood pressure is low. And it's part of what is known as the renin angiotensin aldosterone system. And I'm just gonna walk you through this because this is important to understand. If you have low blood pressure, if you have high blood pressure, this system is is off. So when blood pressure falls, the kidneys release an enzyme called renin into the bloodstream. And then renin splits into angiotensin 1, which is not active. But then we have Uh, this enzyme ACE, angiotensin converting enzyme, and that splits it into angiotensin-2 and that's super active. So angiotensin-2 causes the muscular walls of the small arteries to constrict. And when arteries constrict, that increases blood pressure. Um, Angiotensin-2 also triggers the release of aldosterone from the adrenal glands and vasopressin, which is an antidiuretic hormone from the pituitary gland. So these two hormones combined is what causes the kidneys to retain sodium and to excrete potassium. And the more sodium we hold on to, the more blood volume, because it's it's causing us to uh, hold on to water, right? so the the blood volume goes up, and therefore we'll have higher blood pressure. So when blood pressure drops, all these things are kicking in to raise blood pressure back up. So it's a whole feedback loop in the body. Isn't the body just like, I don't know, such a miracle, such a miracle. So, so many wild things happening all the time that we don't even have to think about ever. Um, so you So you can see where that adrenal involvement is, which is why stress and adrenal health is such a big component of blood pressure. And it's why we see excessive thir- th- uh, thirst, so like just drinking water, like craving water, or um, salt cravings with adrenal issues. In fact, when somebody tells me that they crave salt, literally the first thing that I'm thinking about is like, what's happening with their adrenals? I want to see what what their adrenal, um, adrenal hormones look like. So... If you do have high blood, uh, low blood pressure, we're, the rest of the show, I'm going to talk about high blood pressure. If you have low blood pressure, think about your adrenal health, and you, know, you would be a very good candidate for a program like Your Hormone Revival, just saying, and recognize that you have very little wiggle room for dehydration. So you have to stay hydrated. Make sure you're hydrating with water and with minerals, with electrolytes, super important. Okay? Now, let's get into high blood pressure. So, if you've been diagnosed with high blood blood pressure, if you know that you've got it, here's the the allopathic treatment model. It's medication. They take it very seriously, which I completely understand because there's a lot of risks with high blood pressure, right? This is not a this is not something to ignore or forget about. This is a vital sign for a reason, right? if your blood pressure is high, it's telling you something in your body is off. So we want to figure out what the heck it is. Medication doesn't ask the question, what the heck is going on? But let's talk about medication because I think it's really important to understand how they actually work, like the the, the mechanism of action. One of the, the first lines of defense is hydrochlorothiazide, which is a diuretic. Uh, Lasix is also another one. This is the first Line of um, of pharmaceutical medications for high blood pressure, and what a diuretic does is it increases pee, makes you pee more, increases urination, so that dehydrates you. If you have less water in the blood, you have less pressure on the walls but it also dilutes the concentration of electrolytes and minerals. So obviously this presents its own risk like low minerals, low potassium, low magnesium, low B vitamins. So it's not without its own risk. I mean, you're essentially dehydrating your body in in order to manage your high blood pressure. And with that, when you dump out urine, you're also dumping out those minerals, okay? So that's one. Another one is a beta blocker. This slows the pump down. Uh, it basically slows your heart rate down. And then another one is ACE inhibitors. I, f- I mean, I feel like we've all heard about ACE inhibitors. And that's why I kind of broke down the the renin-angiotensin system, because these medications disrupt that whole system. So it takes that enzyme, remember that ACE enzyme, angiotensin-converting enzyme, and it blocks it Um And it prevents that conversion from angiotensin 1, that inactive, to angiotensin 2, that active one. So, And then there are certain meds that are just straight up angiotensin 2 blockers that kind of have a similar effect. But basically, it's disrupting that whole system, that that hormonal system that regulates blood pressure and regulates fluid and electrolyte balance, all of that. So the, the overall result of this type of medication, this, these ACE inhibitors, is vasodilation. It, it dilates the vasculature, right? Because remember, angiotensin II is a vasoconstrictor it, constrictor, so it interrupts this feedback mechanism, and it just makes, if you think about your, your arteries, um, your, like, at like little hoses, like tubes, like a garden hose, right? It, it's making the tube, it's making the hose bigger. So that reduces the pressure. So it's effective, but I mean, even as you're just hearing this and understanding how this whole system works in the body, you're in- interrupting that whole hormonal system. And you can start to understand why there would be like pretty significant side of- side effects with this class of drugs. And the big ones that we see would be fatigue, dizziness, We could see high potassium levels, uh, cough can be a side effect. So that is um, that's really something to consider. And I just feel like, again, not medical advice, totally not telling you what to do with your body, totally not telling you whether you should or should not be on, uh, medication. And that would go way beyond the scope of my own practice as a nutrition professional. But I think it's important that if we are opting into, um, pharmaceutical meds, we know what the side effects are. And so we can weigh out the pros and the cons. And we're gonna quickly interrupt this discussion to shout out one of our show sponsors. As a reminder, the support of our sponsors is what allows the Functional Nutrition Podcast to continue to pump out new content to you. So we always thank them. We hope that you support them too. Local friend. Coyote River Hemp Co. I've known the owner Ryan going all the way back to my health food store days over a decade ago. His company is committed to regenerative farming practices. Listen, not all CBD products are created equally, so make sure you are being a savvy consumer when you're purchasing CBD. I highly recommend their Coyote River 500 milligram hemp oil, and you can use that to titrate the dose up or down. We always recommend starting low and working your way up slowly over time. You can head to their website and use code FUNC10 to save 10%. That's coyoteRiverHempCo.com. So let's talk about more of a root cause approach. And I'm not saying you have to pick one or the other. I think they can both coexist and you might need to be on, you know, pharmaceutical medication while you work on the root cause and you address the root cause if you're in dire straits, right? So remember when we're taking a root cause approach, we have to ask Why? right? We have, you have high blood pressure, but why? Conventional allopathic medicine is really great at saying, you have this, not so great with saying, but why? So that's where functional medicine can really excel. And with high blood pressure, we know that processed diet, a diet high in processed foods, and I'm going to actually be, be talking about this a lot more in upcoming um, episodes, Um this is so foundational. Um, And with the health crisis going on now, we have to, I mean, if we haven't utilized the past year and a half to take a long, hard look at how we are approaching health in our own life, like, you know, what the hell have we been doing? We really, really need to, to make some change. And I know that it's hard. I know it's challenging to create new habits. And so my goal is to make sure that I am giving you the tools that you need to change your health, change your life, and build new habits. Um, On Instagram, I have been every night showing how I'm cooking really simple, basic meals. I have them all in my highlights, dinner inspo. So I just, I'm trying to take some of the overwhelm out of it and just say, like, hey, eating a whole foods diet does not have to be as stressful as you think, or as hard as you think. Anyway, um, highly processed foods definitely can contribute to high blood pressure. We have historically been told to restrict salt, but that's actually not great advice. And we'll talk about that in a second. What we really should be doing is restricting processed foods. The standard American diet contains a lot of processed foods with tons of added sodium, things like MSG, flavorings, additive. It's our modern food is literally designed for its hyper palatability. It's literally it's not designed for your health. It is designed to get your brain to want more and to eat more and to buy more, wash, rinse, repeat. That is the modern food system. And we cannot compare a diet, high in processed foods to a whole foods diet. It is not comparing apples to apples. And we we don't even have to go all the way back to paleolithic times, right? We don't have to eat paleo. I personally eat a pretty paleo diet. That is how I, I mean, I don't, I don't like label it that, but I, you know, that's pretty much how I eat because that is what makes me feel my best. That's what helps me regulate my blood sugar the best and uh, keep autoimmunity in remission. These are all goals of mine feel good, do good things in the world. Um, but we don't, we don't have to travel all the way back to like caveman days in order to figure out what to eat. We can just go back as far as pre-World War II where the foods we ate were all whole foods, grains, meats, veggies for the most part, right? Our modern diet has completely switched over to be more about convenience and perpetual snacking. I mean, so many of us are just so overfed because food is absolutely everywhere and it's quite literally engineered to make you want to keep eating it. And that's what most of us are eating. Three quarters. Three fourths of the groceries we buy are considered processed, with most of these classified as highly processed. So, the average person in the grocery store, the bulk of what they're buying is processed food. This is from a book um, called Hooked by Michael Moss. He wrote, oh gosh, I can't think of the name of his first book, Salt, Sugar, Fat, something like that. Anyway, really good reads. Um, and he wrote, they're also so highly convenient that most of the groceries are ready to eat. or ready to heat, 15% with salt, sugar, and fat in amounts that outpace what we'd ever put in our own recipes. So people are buying super duper processed foods that are just like ready to eat. Okay. So it's not so much the salt, right? It's it's not as straightforward as salt is bad for heart health because there's a big difference between real salt, like a sea salt that has trace minerals, or like a Redmond's real salt versus the sodium that's, you know, part of a packaged food deal, and we can't. We have to stop beating the salt is bad for heart health drum. There was a meta-analysis of seven studies, so that pulls together multiple studies, and it involved over six thousand subjects. So that's a pretty good size study. Uh, it was reported in the American Journal of Hypertension in 2011, and it. The the uh, studies showed no strong evidence of any effect of salt reduction on CVD, that's cardiovascular disease, morbidity in people with normal blood pressure and raised blood pressure at baseline. It also showed no strong evidence of benefit. Salt restriction increased the risk of all-cause mortality in those with heart failure. So they're saying there's no benefit to cardiovascular disease on reducing your salt. In fact, salt restriction increased the risk of all-cause mortality. Um. <laughs> so we got it wrong with salt. What we should really be paying attention to is processed foods and their ingredients, including high fructose corn syrup. So in excessive fructose consumption has been pretty heavily studied and What it can do is it can cause an increase in uric acid. Um, It can lead to weight gain. We know that. It can lead to an increase in blood pressure. It can lead to an increase in triglycerides. It can increase the risk of insulin resistance. All of these things are not good things. But with that elevated uric acid, what that does is it inhibits nitric oxide. Nitric oxide dilates the blood vessels. So it makes the the tube bigger. It relaxes the inner muscles of your blood vessels and it causes the blood vessels to widen. So nitric oxide increases blood flow and it lowers blood pressure. So if you've ever heard of uh, people using nitric oxide or uh, a um, as a pre-workout. This is why beets are high in nitric oxide. And so it increases blood flow before workout. So inhibiting nitric oxide can drive up blood pressure, which is pretty interesting. And so high fructose corn syrup can be part of that. So if you're somebody who consumes a lot of processed foods, a lot of sweetened foods, a lot of um, a lot of soda, this is something to really, really be mindful of. Um, my daughter Hattie is gluten-free and corn-free. I've, I've talked about that a bunch on the podcast before we've done testing for her. And so she's seven now, so she can really advocate for herself. She knows like what her needs are. And so, um, my husband and her were visiting friends at a country club and they had like a snack shack there. And she was with one of her friends and she walked up to the snack shack snack and was like, uh, excuse me, I am gluten-free and corn-free. Do you have anything for me? And they went through the entire snack shack and did not have anything that was both gluten-free or corn-free because so many, um, so much processed food contains corn in the form of corn syrup or otherwise. Uh, So she ended up with a water. (laughs) It's just, I mean, we had snacks for her. She's not starving. It's just, I'm just like, nobody should be eating this though. Like nobody should be consuming this food. Like this is part of the overall problem that we're all in. Anyway, um, blood sugar issues can also contribute to um, blood pressure issues. Hyperglycemia, so high blood sugar and high insulin levels have a connection to high blood pressure pressure. Insulin levels can be a driver for higher blood pressure. I'm always recommending that folks get their insulin tested. We do it um, in Your Hormone Revival. We look at blood sugar markers, including fasted insulin, because this is super important to keep your your finger on the pulse of, so to speak, because this actually precedes pre-diabetes. So we can see levels of insulin go up before we get into that pre-diabetic category pre-diabetes is diagnosed um through hemoglobin a1c that's the your uh, blood sugar average over the course of about two three months but I you know i've heard somebody say there's no pre anything like pre-diabetes like if you're already in the pre-diabetic state this situation has been gone has been going on for a long time so um you know i i talk a lot about blood sugar issues i have an entire program devoted to metabolic health, to blood sugar regulation, the carb compatibility project. So that's something to consider getting on the next round of that. But the super duper important. And when we start to see hemoglobin A1C levels drive up. So again, that is the that is the diagnostic criteria for prediabetes and diabetes, type 2 diabetes. We can also see something known as advanced glycation end products. And this happens when we have high blood sugar. And this absolutely can affect vascular function. That's why we have to uh, really pay attention to metabolic health, to our blood sugar, to insulin, when we're talking about risk for heart disease. It's, it's all interconnected. Um, a sedentary lifestyle, inactivity, lack of movement. We we need to move our bodies in order to have a movement in our bodies. You get that? So like um, if we want blood flow, if we want good lymph, if we want good blood pressure, we have to be moving our bodies in order for this to happen. Our bodies were designed to move. So exercise is a way to just tone the pump so everything flows better inside. And I mean, I'm really starting to, to kind of paint a picture of the modern American lifestyle. Tons of processed food, right? Blood sugar completely out of whack. We're eating way too much sweetener in the form of high fructose corn syrup. We're not moving our bodies. And then layer onto that all of the stress. Stress is directly related to high blood pressure. During stress, our bodies are in that fight or flight response. And as as part of that response, our heart rate is increased and our blood vessels start to constrict. This is the adrenaline response, right? That immediate stress hormone that's like, boom, fight or flight, let's go, let's go, let's go. And if somebody is kind of stuck, locked in that into that sympathetic overdrive, this is happening over and over. It just... It, it really can ramp up blood pressure. Um, so we have to, have to, have to, have to put stress management practices in place. That's why I created Your Hormone Revival. It's not just to look at what your hormones are doing. That's important. But it's also to put practices in place. It's to implement the lifestyle changes. It's to give yourself a three-month container to like really commit to making some radical changes or not so radical. I mean, that sounds kind of scary. It doesn't have to be radical change building good habits. Um, So one thing that I'm a huge advocate for and I practice daily is forest bathing. I'm very lucky to uh, live in the woods. Well, we moved here so we could live in the woods, but um, there have been some pretty cool studies done on forest bathing and we know that it has therapeutic effect on hypertension, on high blood pressure, and it inhibits that renin angiotensin system. It also drives down inflammation. It inhibits inflammation. And because of all of that, it it can be preventative medicine for cardiovascular risk. I mean I literally call my my time in the woods my forest medicine. I mean it it absolutely I, I feel my stress response. There was a while where I was tracking HRV, heart rate variability, and the more time I spent in the woods, the better um, my heart rate variability looked. So it definitely has a massive effect. Other things that we can do, breath work, pranayama, diaphragmatic breathing. Um, You can reduce your systolic blood pressure by taking six deep breaths within a 30-second period. So our blood pressure responds deep breathing. Our bodies were also designed to breathe appropriately. Most of us don't. We don't have that deep diaphragmatic breath. Um, So it's that we're lacking that proper movement, that proper input, like the body is designed to to move and we're not really moving it much. There's also something um, that I've taught in the past uh, called four, seven, eight breathing. So you can inhale through your nose to the count of four you hold your breath for a count of seven and then you exhale through your mouth to the count of eight and you like whoosh the breath out. So you just repeat that cycle a few times um, and that can be really, really helpful as well. But really any type of deep breathing, diaphragmatic breath, um, appropriate Belly breathing, all of that can very, very much so impact not only your stress response but your blood pressure as well. And then a few more reasons, uh, a few more root causes of high blood pressure. We can see vitamin deficiencies, uh, B vitamin deficiencies um, that can drive up homocysteine, that can cause the our blood vessels to be more uh, uh, hard and rigid, which is not good. Mineral deficiencies. Um, Magnesium being a big one. Magnesium is I can I call it a muscle relaxer because it just relaxes those smooth muscles. It also relaxes the vessels, and so because of this, it helps with vasodilation. Uh, we know magnesium is wonderful for cortisol. It's wonderful for HPA access. It calms down the stress response. It's really good for hormonal imbalance. Um, magnesium is just such a wonderful tool to have in your toolbox. Uh, we can see potassium if uh, potassium imbalance can can drive blood pressure issues because it ha- it has everything to do with that sodium balance and water balance in the body. so make sure you're eating plenty of potassium potassium rich foods like um, potatoes, um, winter squash, Spinach, broccoli, beet greens, avocados, bananas, lentils, different types of beans, dried fruits can be high in potassium. I mean, a whole foods diet is if you're eating plenty of um, of produce in different kinds, you're you're getting good potassium. Um, omega-3 fats, there is a dose, res- uh, dose dependent response on fish oil, uh, on blood pressure. So making sure that you're Make eating plenty of omega three fats or supplementing with omega three fats. Other things can really impact blood pressure: alcohol, caffeine intake, smoking. All of these things we want to be mindful of. And then the last thing I'm going to talk about is hormonal imbalance. Um, this is something that I I saw firsthand with one of my clients. So um, there's different types of hormone imbalances: estrogen, uh, thyroid hormone. Um, testosterone, all of these can feed into cardiovascular issues. But specifically what I'm going to talk about is estrogen right now. So birth control pills or uh, synthetic estrogen can impact uh, blood pressure negatively. And We also know that estrogen dominance is associated with blood pressure. I've talked about estrogen dominance a few times on the show recently, so I won't unpack that, that it's essentially either too much estrogen or estrogen is out of balance with progesterone. And this is exactly what my client was experiencing. Um, Through proper Dutch testing, through running a thyroid panel, we discovered that she was dealing with subclinical hypothyroid. So she had gotten a... Quote unquote, thyroid test from her primary care doctor. And they were like, your thyroid's great. Everything's fine. And then through appropriate testing, we realized like, ooh, not so great. Um, low progesterone, she had higher levels of estrogen, and she had unfavorable estrogen metabolism. So she wasn't clearing estrogen out of her body the way that we would want to see it. Now, why this is a big deal, progesterone does a number of different things. Um, It dilates blood vessels. It prevents the rise in blood pressure. It uh, blocks the uptake of calcium by calcium channels in smooth muscle cells. There are um, certain blood pressure-lowering meds that actually uh, work that same way, calcium channel blockers. Um, and then progesterone can also be a, a mild diuretic. So for all of those reasons, if progesterone is low, we might see higher levels of blood pressure. Um, so that is something to really consider. If you're dealing with high blood pressure, you want to think about what are, what are my hormones, um, what are my hormones doing? And with this particular client, there was a lot of, lot of overlap. So for example, there's a, a, a thyroid link with estrogen. So if, if there's high levels of estrogen, that can increase binding globulins that bind up thyroid hormones. So less free thyroid hormone becomes available. So high levels of estrogen can impact thyroid health and it can lead to a hypothyroid situation. On top of that, thyroid peroxidase, TPO, that enzyme that is responsible for producing thyroid hormone is upregulated with progesterone. So low progesterone can also lead to functionally low thyroid hormones. Um, So this client was dealing with both of them. We can see that commonly with an estrogen dominant picture. And so with this, you can have symptoms of both hypothyroid and low progesterone. So things like heavy bleeds, um, cramps, migraines, the second half of the cycle, depression, irregular periods, breast tenderness, water retention before the period, um, infertility, ovarian cysts. And my client had struggled with essentially all of these. So um, then there's this like kind of like kickback effect. So sex hormones can influence thyroid health, but thyroid health can influence sex hormones. So when the thyroid function is low, it can actually decrease the chance of ovulating. So if somebody's not ovulating, they're not producing enough progesterone. So like progesterone might just not be getting off the ground so they can see low levels of progesterone. So it, there's, I guess my point in saying all of this is that it's a really complex situation, and it's not just as simple as saying, oh, gee, blood pressure's high. Let's get them on a med so we can bring down blood pressure. It's really unpacking Well, what is contributing to this overall picture, and it's complex. You know, I don't say this to overwhelm you, but just to, you know... Uh, maybe instill in you some deep reverence for what the body is going through. And this is why if you are dealing with like a combination of different things, it, it does make sense to um if you've tried a lot of things, let's say you've cleaned up your diet, you have, you're have, you moving your body, you're, you're doing all the right things, and you're still dealing with symptoms, that's when it makes sense to enlist help and get some support. So Your Hormone Revival, we go through all of these labs, we help you piece it all together and figure it out. You could also work one-on-one in the clinic if that was something that you were interested in. Um, we'll put all of the requisite information in the show notes if you're at a point where you feel like you've tried everything, um, to the best of your ability, it it makes sense to, to get some support and, uh, we can support you through your hormone revival or our uh, private practice. And that's a wrap for today's show. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.